everybody, Bob Olson here with Afterlife TV. You can find us at afterlifetv.com. This is where we search for evidence of life after death and ask the meaningful questions around that subject. Today, we're going to be talking about channeling. Specifically, our guest, we're going to talk about his channeling and how it will teach you about your own knowing and worth, something all of us need to learn and certainly something I think you're going to enjoy today to learn a little bit more about yourself. Um, and uh, his name is Paul Selig. Is it Selig correct? That's correct. Well, welcome so much. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I uh, should let everybody know. So I was aware of you. You were on my peripheral vision. And mm -hmm. I, uh, channeling, you know, I, I tend to focus more on mediums and stuff like mm -hmm. that because we deal with a lot of people with grief. Channeling yeah. was there. It was certainly fascinating to me. And, uh, but, you know, I never ended up calling you up because of that reason. I was more focused in other areas. I happened to um, be watching The Unexplained. Uh, it's a great, it was a great, who, who had, was that sci-fi? Who was that? That was the Bio Channel. The Bio Channel. Sorry, Bio. Uh, mm -hmm. We love the Bio Channel. And so it was a little documentary series. I was watching it because my friend John Holland was on there. And so uh, he got me started on it. And then I saw you. And, uh. Uh, and my wife, Melissa, I'm like, whoa, whoa, who is, you know, who is this guy? This guy's the real deal. This is channeling, you know, sh she wasn't that familiar with it. This is what channeling is, Melissa. Um, and, uh, and, and then I, I knew about you ever since. I knew I was going to have you on one day. And then just about a week ago uh, or so, I, um, I, I couldn't get you out of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm driving along. I'm interviewing you in my head. Uh -huh. I'm like, all right, I, I guess I got to interview this guy. So anyways, thanks for coming on. I'm glad to be here. Thank yeah. you. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about, you know, uh, what, why you're doing what you're doing. I know you have a little background story for that. And I know, you know, it wasn't where you thought you were going. So it's an interesting story. You know, yeah, I was raised not to believe in much of this stuff. You know, when I was about 25, I started to open up psychically yep. and didn't quite know what was happening. I started seeing lights around people after having had an experience. And then I studied healing and I found out that when I had my hands on people, I started to heal things for them, hear things for them. Wow. So I was opening up as a clear audience and then I started to open up as a physical empath. So what you saw me do on The Unexplained was a lot sort of stepping into other people's bodies and fields and I'll often sort of begin to take on their stuff. But that came a little bit later. It came in increments. So I started to do a group in my apartment God, maybe 20 years ago, you know, when I first began to hear things and just sit with my friends or whoever wanted to show up yeah. and be in the energy because the energy that would come through when I channeled was very, very palpable. And as I continued what? to do this, yeah? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it just, you know, the, the station got a bit more refined. And I didn't even realize that I was lecturing in channel until about four years ago um, when my guides turned to somebody else in my group and said, you know, Paul's not going to believe what's coming through him until he sees it written down. It was around that time that I began to record and transcribe the teachings. So it's really very, very recent, although I've been at this for a while. And I found that fascinating. I, I heard that, you know, I read it, and that you weren't going to believe it until you saw it written down. And I, I assumed that, that what that meant was, you know, when you are channeling, you're not really remembering what you're channeling later. And so to actually see it written down gave you like, uh, you know, this tangible memory of what you had just done. Is that sort of the idea? Kind of. You know, when I channel, I whisper the words as they come and then I repeat them. Yeah. So I, it's like I'm reading fortune cookies, you know, one after the other after the other. And I'm trying to keep up with the dictation. Yeah. So I'm always hearing the next line as the one out of my mouth is being repeated. And, but I never know what the whole thought's going to be or the whole sentence or paragraph. I'm just trying to keep up with it. So when you see it written out... Um, you actually can see the coherence of the lecture. And I was floored the first time I typed one up. It was like a five-page lecture. It required absolutely no editing. It was completely perfect. It made great sense. And after I did that for about a month or so, you know, the guide said, okay, we have a book to write. And that's how the book came through, too. I mean, really, the whole thing is recorded and then transcribed. And the rule with the books is I can't edit. You know, I can't take out the stuff that doesn't feel right or might make somebody angry. The deal is, if this is what comes out of my mouth, it goes into the manuscript, like it or not. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that's beautiful. And in the first book, you did, what, about two and a half weeks? First book was two and a half weeks, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. As, as a writer myself, boy, I, that just sounds great um, to, to be able to write a book in two and a half weeks. Uh, let's show your books uh, right now. We'll show them all. We'll talk, talk about them as we go along. So this mm -hmm. is the first one here, right? I am uh -huh. the word. I'm going to try it. to get that there. And that's the one that was written in about two and a half weeks. Uh-huh. I know this one did really, really well. Tell us a little bit about it. You know, it's a teaching of embodiment. I mean, the guides, the very first session, the guides, you know, first of all, I wasn't expecting it to happen. So I heard, we have a book to write. If you take two weeks, we'll deliver it. And I had nothing else to lose at that moment in my life. And Victoria Nelson, who's a colleague of mine at Goddard College, where I run a master's program, um, I called her at an appointed time every two weeks and just delivered the text. But in the very first or second session, they said, this is the beginning of a trilogy. And really, the whole thing is a trilogy of embodiment, of sort of how we, I think, as a species, is really being upgraded to claim our own divine expression, the true self of who we are. And how it came to be, the first book was, was the first teaching. And the books, I should say, according to my guides, are energetic attunements to the frequency that they work with. So the books are operating on two different levels, the words on the page, you know, which gives you an intellectual context for what's happening, but the vibration that informs it is really very strong and for many, many people very palpable. So they said this is going to be a book that works directly on the reader. And it has been, and so's the second, and so's the third. But I am the word, that really is where they lay out the foundation of their teaching, and they attune the reader to the frequency that they work with. They call it the word, which they say their definition is the energy of the creator in action. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. and, and so, for anybody who might be a little confused, you know, so channeling... Mm -hmm. is uh, you're communicating, you call them your guides, right? But yeah. uh, these are, is this some group entity? What is this? Uh, they, they come through saying we, so I, I consider them a group entity. I don't see them. Mm. You know, I kind of wish I did. I mean, I see orbs. I see these lights that come into the room. Yeah. It's, a phys it's a very physical experience for me very often when I'm channeling because I'm something of a physical medium. But, um, yeah, they say that they're teachers and they've really come at this time to show us who we are. So once in a while, they'll deliver a name, but they're really not all that invested in names. I think the names get a little stuck in personality stuff. Yeah. You know? And it's really much more, I think, about the teaching than, um, than the teacher. Or I think that's how they would like to have it. I'm mostly the guy that sits in the chair. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, that's all you do. And then, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I mean, that's the humble approach to it for, for certain because you don't want to put too, you don't, you don't really don't want to put any of yourself in these in these they don't want you to put any of yourself in these um i know one of the books i was looking at was talking a little bit about how that can happen like you know yeah. with edgar casey you know his beliefs that sort of thing can can bleed onto the page sometimes sure. yeah i think that's true i mean i'm i'm present for these things i'm a conscious channel i'm taking the dictation you know, as it comes, but I'm also present enough that I can interrupt and question. So when I bleed through, I tend to be bleeding through on purpose. Oh. Are there times that I feel more receded than others? I would say yes. I mean, there, there are times, because I'm, I'm reading the audiobook now, and I'm sitting in a booth reading this stuff aloud, not whispering and repeating it, and I'm astonished at I, I'm astonished at the construction of it. I mean, the whole thing feels built like somebody really sat down and, and wrote it. And really, I've been—I was sitting there in a chair with my dog in my lap and a CD recorder, you know, and sometimes pacing the room with a phone receiver in my hand because I've got this poor woman in Berkeley on the other end of the phone, yeah. you know, as I'm dictating. So when I see that, I'm sort of astonished by the purity of the work. There's other times when I go, "Gosh, I feel too present here." But mostly when I feel present, the guides call me out and they'll say, you know, Paul is interrupting, you know, or Paul's getting in the way. And there's a couple of times I actually had to stop cold during the dictation. I leave those interruptions in there. Those are the only edits. When something interrupts and I start cursing, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't wind <laughs> up in the transcript. Um, but I never know what's going to happen in these things. You know, I don't know the title of the book or the chapter or anything. 
So I don't know it until it's delivered. And it's, a, it's sort of scary that way. It's very exciting. Yeah. But there's an awareness every time that the entire book could fall apart. You know, if they delivered something that made no sense, then what am I going to do? The deal is, is that I can't take it out because suddenly they said something that was absolutely crazy or that I would think would be absolutely crazy. Right. And it's possible right now, now that I'm sort of just thinking aloud, it's possible that they're somewhat limited in what they can deliver through me because if it's just too out there, I may not be able to, to render it. Oh. And I think to a certain extent, they're using my consciousness, my vocabulary to work through. You know, I mean, right. occasionally they'll use a word that I don't know and Victoria will know. Um, occasionally they'll use a word that I think is completely the wrong word and I'll look it up and find out that it's actually the archaic meaning of the word, you know, from 400 years ago. You know, and so, oh, well, that's interesting that they use that word. Yeah. But for the most part, they're still dealing with Paul. I mean, Paul is the vehicle or the radio that the broadcast is playing through. And I think, you know, to that element, is there a piece of me or aspects of me that can be informing some of this perhaps, but not the teaching itself? Yeah, I like that. And, and I think they picked a great guy. They wouldn't choose me, um, but you're a, you're a Yale, uh, you got your master's at Yale, right? I did, yeah. And, and you're a playwright, and uh -huh. I mean, you, you teach, do you teach writing? I teach playwriting at NYU. I've yeah. taught that for 25 years, and I run a graduate program at Goddard College in Vermont, and I've done that for close to 20. So I've been an academic for a long time. Yeah. And, um, and because of that, I was very low-key about this work. It was really the first book that threw me out. And then when The Unexplained happened, and I had to tell my college kids, I said, I don't know if you know this about me. And they said, yeah, we know. I mean, they said, they'd check me out on Google. And, I, you know, I mean, I look pretty crazy when I'm chattling, and they were still in my class and fine. Yeah. So I'm very grateful for that. No, that is nice. But it was, it was uh, risky. It was courageous of, of you to do that. Did you do it because you felt like you really, this was your calling, you had no other choice, or are you just really courageous? You know what really, I mean, if you really want to know what happened, I was working on a show as a writer, and I got like let go of, and I went to bed for two days, and my ego was just sort of quashed. Yeah. And that's when my friend Victoria called me up and she said, Paul, I think it's time that you wrote your book about how you became a clairaudient. And my guy, and I didn't want to, and the guides piped in and said, no, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And in that moment, I could have cared less less. Yeah. I thought, why the hell not? Who cares? Yeah. If, if I was still on that show, none of these books would have happened. I'm convinced. So, you know, I mean, foolishness, perhaps at the time, it didn't matter. But courage didn't enter into it. The first book for me was, it was an experiment to see if this could actually really happen as they said. Yeah. And I didn't know that it could. Yeah. And then it did happen. And they said, you know, it's the first publisher, don't haggle. And that's exactly what happened. The first editor who read the book um, read it on a plane and, and pretty much said, you know, we want to publish this right after. It was sort of within eight months it was on the shelves after having been dictated. So it was fascinating. It's happened, it's happened quickly. Yeah, I'll say. I'll say. And, and, yeah, I can see how it would be really cool. I'm kind of that kind of – I'm that guy who, you know, I have all my – questions i don't necessarily need them but i like to have them and i like uh -huh. to stay organized and yeah that would really push my limits if they were like yeah we're going to write a whole book and we're just going to dictate it to you and we'll have it all in the right order i'm like yeah, yeah really <laughs> pretty much yeah but that's what i did too but then i showed up for it and that's the difference yeah I mean, my job is to show up what, what happens after that in some ways is, is pretty much out of my hands <laughs> that's right that's right um, the second book, let's show them that, uh, the book of love and creation. Yeah. There we go. Beautiful. I mean, these covers are, oh my God, I love the covers. Yeah. The publisher did a great job. And, yeah. um, tell us a little bit about that book. That's the second one. It's the second book. It's a manual. I mean, they almost called it the manual of love and creation. And then I, I, I went, ah, cause I hate the word manual. And they called it the book of love and creation. Like two sentences later, this is all in the book. Yeah. Um, but it really is the manual of how to operate at a higher frequency and how to stop, how to stop operating in fear. 
And much of what we do is fear-based, but we don't even consider it as such because we're so used to it. Either we've been sort of taught in certain ways or we're, we're adhering to structures that we've all agreed to that are fear-based. Um, so it's really a manual and operating at a higher level. And, um, and it's a dense book, but in many ways it's a workbook. Yeah, and, and I love it. So the, in the first one, talks, the first book, I Am the Word, talks about those structures that brought us to fear. Right. Uh -huh. And and then so now this is like opening us up to a new level. Yeah. Um, beautiful. And now and now you've come out with this one. This is a new one. Just out. Just, just out. still hot on the press. The book of knowing and worth. This is one I really want to talk about. Now, in some ways, I think they they even say your guys even say this may even be, you know, the most important of all of them. Why would that be? You know, I, I it's my favorite of the books. Why did the, I don't remember why they say it's the most important. Well, they of don't. The they don't. Um, and maybe I got that wrong. So, but no, I think they, I think they do infer that. I think in some ways it's the most radical of the teachings. Yeah. I mean, what they're really talking about is they call it a teaching of incarnation. You know, I am the word they say is about embodiment. It's about bringing the energy in. The Book of Love and Creation is about how to begin to learn how to operate the car. You know, if you if you if you sort of inherit the car, you learn how to to, to operate the car. This is about driving it. It's okay. about being your own divine self. So they will call the guides call it the Christed self, that aspect within each of us, they say, that's seeking to be realized in fullness. That's the truth of who we are. Mm. So this book is about the being of it. I think it differs from the other texts, that it's really one large teaching. I mean, it really, the other books really are sort of breaking things down. It's just sort of a direct hit. It also addresses, you know, I think one of our, our biggest issues is that fundamentally we believe that we're unworthy of our own divinity, of that aspect of us that is connected to everyone and everything else. Right. Right. Which is which is I, I, what what I thought uh, really is such an important message about this book. Something I really want to tap into uh, today when we when we talk. Um, right. Let's just back up a little bit more for those people who don't understand channeling. How would you define channeling for those who have never heard the word before? You know, I don't define it. I mean, I'll, I'll say how I describe what I do, perhaps, because I say that I'm a radio. And the guides say we're actually all radios. We're always tuning into different levels of consciousness and broadcasting it. You know, if you're angry, you're tuning into anger and you're broadcasting, that becomes your vibration. I, for some reason, have tuned into some consciousness that teaches through me. So, to a certain extent, I'm the medium between that level of teaching and, you know, and, and the transmission of it. So think of me as a radio. Channeling is, is listening and, 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 and rendering the information that's heard. How would you, how would you uh, differentiate this from uh, what a psychic or a medium does? Yeah. You know, I mean, I do psychic work. I mean, the empathic work that I do is psychic. Mm. The difference with me, and it's funny, is I mostly work with the living. So I can tune into your sister in Kentucky and tell you what's going on and often begin to resemble her and step into her, her field that way. So I'm doing that with the living. The difference is when the guides come through, they're doing that with me. So they become me or I sort of take on or am almost veiled by that energy right. that's expressing through me. The thing that I don't do a lot of and I don't really understand why is what they call spirit mediumship, which is, you know, people that have crossed will come through. That's just not how I'm operating. So, you know, I'm always sort of surprised when I step into somebody and I say, you know, who's this guy? And he's, you know, dressed up like John Travolta with all these gold chains. It's 1977, you know, and then somebody says, oh, yeah, that's my dead brother, you know, been gone for 20 years. Oh, you know, and then it's, it's happening. But I'm still surprised because people that are on this plane come through immediately the yeah. guides come through immediately it's like it's a different radio station for me at least when people have crossed mm. and you know i can tune to it and i can get it and it happens frequently but that's not my practice yeah. that it's somebody say like john holland's work and I, I respect it enormously yeah yeah all right um wow you kind of you, you said it earlier but i i want to put an emphasis to it um your guide's reason for wanting to do this? You know, what? what is their reason? I mean, they're here to teach us who we are. 
Yeah. You know, I think, I mean, I think they're invested in, in what happens to us. They say pretty explicitly in all the books that mankind is at a time of reckoning or a facing of its own creations. You know, we're really looking at, ha- looking at habits. We're having to look at what we've done and what we've made here. Yeah. And they're giving us other ways to be engaged with ourselves and consequently with everybody else. Yeah. You know, and they're really asking us to examine paradigms that we've accepted as permanent. I mean, they've said recently, you know, in Channel, you know, we, we, you know, we as a culture believe that there's always going to be war. And so consequently, there will be. We yeah. can't believe that we can have a planet without it. And so, con- so consequently, we're always reinvesting in it. Right. They say that we think that we're our history and we're not. You know, and as long as we think that we're our history or what we've done or what's happened to us, that's what we continue to create from. And so what they're doing, I think, is bringing us to a new awareness of who and what we are so that both individually and collectively we can choose something differently. And, and, and that seems to be the foundation, uh, certainly, of this book, uh, yeah. the last book, and, and was really inspiring to me in that way. Um, so let's extend from that... Um, if we can break down the title a little bit. So what does knowing mean? Your, gosh, well, your knowing's not your thinking. You know, it's always hard for me. And it's a funny thing because people say, you know, sometimes say, well, when you wrote this, what did you mean? I always say, well, you know, I didn't write it. You know, I took the dictation. So very often I want to defer to the authors, you know, yeah, and yeah. sometimes I'll sort of step in and, and let them take over. But knowing is essentially, you know, thinking is is not our knowing. When you know, how, let me see, I'm going to see if I can get it from them and I shouldn't be channeling. I'm jet lagged and we'll see what happens. They're saying, if you want to know, ask yourself, what do you want to know? Where's the answer coming from? Where is the answer coming from? What aspect of you is speaking? What aspect of you is speaking? The aspect of you that knows. The aspect of you that knows has no questions, has no questions. When you know you're in your knowing, when you know you are in your knowing and you are and you are present, and you are present and aware, and an aware way, way for what is truth, for what is truth when you are thinking. When you are thinking, you are not in your knowing. You are not in your knowing. Tell them this, please. They're saying, you know, tell them this, please. You know, one of the things that they say sometimes when they teach is they'll ask people to go to a time in their life when they knew something. I knew my kid was sick. I knew my marriage was over. I knew I was losing the job. And go into your body and see what that feels like. And then go to your life and think of something that you think. You know, I think I'm hungry. I think I know what I want for lunch. I think I'm going to drive to work today. But there are very different ways of being in your own experience of yourself. Yeah. And so knowing actually, I mean, from what they were saying, if I could catch any of that, it's, you're not operating from a question. You're, oh. you're operating from a place of truth. I, and I, I, I really agree with that from my own experiences. Mm. Um, and, and I... Early, early on when I started to investigate uh, the afterlife, one mm-hmm. of the first things I recognized was um, this idea of knowing, for me, what it meant. And it's, I think we're saying the same thing. Um, I, I, I felt like that you gained a knowing from personal experience, mm-hmm. whereas you would gain a belief, which is really you know an intellectual mm-hmm. thing, from vicarious experience, hearing somebody else yeah. tell you or teach it to you. But then, and so one of my examples was, you know, you can have a, a psychic tell you what your past life was. So that's just an intellectual thing. Okay. And, and, uh, and you can believe it if you want to. Uh, but then if you go and have a past life regression with someone, you mm-hmm. actually experience that on yeah. your own. It becomes a knowing. It's something that, like you said, you don't even question. You just know it at such a deep level that yeah. um, it, it doesn't matter whether other people believe it or not because you know it, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's really well said. You know, I mean, my experience is someone who didn't really believe in anything. You know, I had an experience when I was about 25 of energy sort of moving through my body. It was very, very palpable. I'd heard my first voice probably a month or so before, which was really very distinct and sort of giving me some direction that I needed very, very badly at that time. And again, was very surprised. It all sort of happened in response to sort of opening up and frankly, in prayer. And, you know, for somebody who didn't believe in anything to to sort of go into that 
model was already a big deal. But to begin to have experiences in response to it was, was really kind of freaky to me. Yeah. So, you know, when I started to feel the energy and then see these lights show up around people, that sent me on a journey. But I couldn't deny it. So, you know, suddenly, you know, I was living in a world where you could suddenly begin to see energy, feel it, and then hear, and that turned my entire life inside out. Yeah. Because that meant that the world wasn't the way that I thought it was. Right. And, you know, I mean, there was a practical period, you know, my friends were saying, maybe you have a detached retina, maybe you have a brain tumor, maybe you're detoxing. Any of those things could have been true at that time. Sure. But it was enough to sort of move me forward in a way towards this thing because I knew that it meant that there was more to the world than I ever thought was possible. Now I take a lot of this stuff for granted. I have my petty complaints and stuff, you know, and it doesn't occur to me the fact that I can sort of step into people and work with them telepathically in session is rare because it's just something that I do. But I actually don't think that I'm special in the least. I think we're all capable of this stuff. Yeah. A lot of what my guides have given me is permission. You know, and a lot of what they're able to give other people is permission and perhaps somebody like me, you know, who comes from a sort of a tra traditional academic background, you know, it's a little more possible for certain kinds of people to accept that maybe this is so. I'm not wearing a turban, I don't have a big jewel on it. I'm just this guy who's having this very strange experience that, you know, somehow seems to come through with energy that other people can feel. Yeah. So when my guides work, the energy's in the room. There's no question about it. Yeah. I mean, it's electric. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that because I have no interest, frankly, in people deferring to Paul. Yeah. You know, I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I actually happen to be the guy that is an empath and a psychic and operates as a channel when I'm not, you know, doing the laundry or walking the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, so you're the perfect person and, and you're the perfect person to make it believable for someone like me. Um, you know, especially when whatever, 15 years ago, I might've been skeptical because you're just a regular guy. You could be living next door to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't think skepticism is wrong. I mean, I have days when I think it's just nuts. I do. And, you know, I look at the books and, you know, I'm not capable, truly. I mean, no matter how smart I am or eloquent I may be, I'm just not capable of dictating three books that require no editing. I don't know anybody that is. <laughs> That's right. Well, the lectures is just not possible. And, you know, the woman who dictated um, Course in Miracles, um, there's a quote attributed to her, which I like very much. And she said, you know, I don't believe it, but I know it's true. Yeah. And that's how it feels sometimes. I don't believe it, but I know it's true. It's happening. Yeah. When it's happening, there's no way around it. Yeah. You know, it's so real. It's so present. And even though, you know, I was having dinner with a woman last night who's having a very good experience with the teaching. She's a smart lady. She's a novelist, you know, and she's doing the work. And I said, you know, this stuff is impossible to follow for me some days. I feel like I'm still judging everybody. She said, yeah, but you know, it's true. Everything that they're saying is right. It's about a better way to be in the world and a higher way to engage in everybody. But there is work involved. Yeah. You know, this isn't a self-help book. This isn't read a book, you'll feel better. This is read a book and you, your body might start to vibrate because it works that way. But you're also going to be moved towards facing yourself in, in some ways that may be a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I have heard that and, and, and it says it. Um, a lot of people uh, experience a shift just by reading these words. Yeah. And, and certainly, but I, I agree with you. I mean, um, when I read this stuff, I, I don't... I. I there was nothing that I personally disagreed with. It was just I, I knew that I, I wasn't necessarily living up to that yet. Um, but it was it was a great um, a great place to, to strive for. You know what I mean? It, it was. Yeah, I hope I get there. You know, I hope I get there. And and in that way, it was inspiring to me. Yeah, well, uh, they pipe in and they say, choose, choose, choose. You see? Yeah. Yeah. That's what they say choose. I, I love that. And and. You know when they re so and when they repeat something like that because they do uh, when they re it's just to put, put emphasis on it right. 
that's what I always thought, you know. I mean, they do. They 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 speak in triplets sometimes for emphasis. I thought it was emphasis. I have an old. Fr I have a friend who is an old time spiritual medium, Jeanette Meek. She's a wonderful medium, and she says to me, "It's once for the body, once for the mind, once for the spirit. It's got to be <laughs> three times." But one of the things, and it's very true, you know, the attunement to the vibration of the word that they work with in all books, but the first book is that they do it in the new book as well. They say, "I am word through my body, word I am word, I am word through my." vibration, word I am word, I am word through my knowing of myself as word, really is dealing with the body, mind, spirit. Mm. But you're actually claiming that identity and that and a correlation with that vibration, both at the physical level in the auric field mm. and in your conscious knowing, which is how we self-identify. I mean, my guides say, you are who you say you are. So if I want to call myself this or that, that's going to be my expression in the world. Yeah. They're inviting us to attune to the higher level that's available to us. Um, and, and so is that pretty much saying say, the same thing as saying we are who, who we believe we are? I mean, who we... No. No, I don't think it is. I don't think... I mean, I guess you could say that. But, you know, they say... The new book, there's a claim that they make, that they work throughout the entire book. I mean, it's a claim of truth, they say. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know how I serve. And they do say who you are is who you say you are. But the true self, the divine self, they would say, is eternal. So that's always who you are. Who you believe yourself to be mm -hmm. may be how you're manifesting your life right now. But if you begin to move away from the personality self, to the true self, you can actually begin to express and accord with that. I mean, it really is about claiming your divinity as your true self. You know, it's not that who we think we are is so wrong. Who we think we are just isn't necessarily the truth of who we are, and it's a much more limited way to be an expression. All right, so my next question was going to be, we, I wanted to ask, you know, from the title, what does worth yeah. mean? Yeah. Uh, is that sort of this idea? I was talking uh, them talking to us about what our true self is. Is, are, yeah. is there a connection there? Very much so. I mean, our true worth is as an aspect of the Creator. That's who everybody is, regardless of what they've done or think themselves to have done. You know, that can't be changed. That's true for everybody. If we got that, if I got that I'm made up of the same stuff as the guy that I can't stand, or those people over there who do those things that I so disagree with, we stop operating in separation in the way that we've invested in so much. Now, the guides say that we're worth what we say we are, individually and collectively. So if I, and the world will take you on your value, if I, they say, you know, if you say you're worth five bucks, the world's going to give you five bucks and not a penny more. Mm. That's the way it works. Now, if you know who you are in your inherent worth, and they say that's your birthright, the aspect of you that was here to be realized in your fullness, whatever that may be, in your divine worth, they would say, if you know that that's who you are, the smaller structures begin to fall away because they're mostly built on historical contexts, which means this is who my mom said I was, this is who my father said I should be, the school I went to said I should be doing that. None of that is who we really are. There are ways that we know ourselves in our world, but it's not who we truly are. So your divine worth or everybody's divine worth is who they truly are. And the expression of this at a higher level actually is what they say will change your life. Uh, all right, and, and and again, that's what this is all about. This that's what this book is all about. Um, the book of knowing worth is is to so you know our father told us one thing, our mother told us who we are, our teachers told us who we are. This is really trying to tell us who we are, and and, and it, is it a remembering? Is it a remembering? Yeah. Yeah, it's who you've always been. I mean, they're not, they say again and again, you know, we're not making you who you're not. We're showing you who you truly are. Yeah. And that's what has been masked in many ways. Yeah, yeah. But it's available. Well, you know, I just, I hope, I, I, I always think, you know, I think about these interviews and, uh, you know, I, I think about what can my audience take away from this. Um, and, and, and lately, uh, it's just, it's, it's felt like to try to show them, help them see their own inner light. And, and certainly that's what this is all about, all about. 
Uh, I, I hope that people will read all three books. I'm going to. I, I haven't read all three all the way through because I just got them from the from the, your publisher. But um, uh, but I read them enough to to get the big picture. And then, but the, the, the issue for me was, oh, I just want to read. I just want to start from the beginning and go page by page through all three volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was this volume that was inspired me to do that. I was just like, yeah. oh. But I, yeah. I, I was reading the reviews um, on Amazon about your other two books. People love these books. I mean, I just love them. I mean, the transformations have taken place. People see them in that way. I don't read that too much about too many books. You know what I mean? Something about there, and I know you don't take credit, so you can, you can agree with me, right? I know what people say. It's what the guide said would happen, and it's happened. But people feel the books working with them personally and on an energetic level. So, you know, the reviews are saying things like, I'm reading the book and my whole body is vibrating. Yeah. You know, some woman wrote me the other day and she said, my husband's reading the book and the light's so intense he has to go lie down. You know, I mean, it's really very interesting. But the book is working on the vibrational field or consciousness of, of, of the reader in ways that may be palpable for them. I'm not saying this happens for everybody, no. but a lot of people are reporting that when they read it. Well, I think you're called to it. Um, like I said, I always knew about channels and, and, and I, I just wasn't very focused on channels. Yeah. And, and so now all of a sudden I'm at a time in my life where, whoa, you know, I'm focused on you and I'm led uh-huh. to your books and I feel like, oh, now, this, now the time is right. I'm ready for that now, you know. You know, I think I, I wasn't ready for it before, you know, truly. I really wasn't. And I wouldn't be here sitting with you five years ago. I would be hiding under the bed before I would be doing something like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, even my own willingness to claim my ability um, and or, or whatever it is, is challenging for me some days, you know, even though I have a very good practice as a psychic and, you know, and, and my groups do do well, I'm still questioning it all the way through. Yeah. But I do think that we're at a time right now where we're being asked to to look for more. And this is one of the ways it's coming. I think it's a positive thing. I think it's happening all over the place. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the reason I have an audience is because of that. Yeah. You know, people are out looking for that. Um, your books talk a lot about Christ consciousness. I was wondering if you could tell me what that means to you uh, and and just specify, you know, I, I know this is not a religious thing. And sure, talk about it's that. not a religious thing. I mean, one of the things that, that's happened with the books is the guides are, are working with a language at times that seems rooted in the Judeo-Christian culture, but they're actually using the language in, in perhaps different ways than we're used to. And their definition of the Christ is the aspect of the Creator that can be realized in material form. And that that's actually in everybody. You know, that, 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 that spark, that divine light, you know, this little light of mine, whatever you want to call it is within everybody. And there's a name for it, I believe, in all world religions. Yeah. You know, the Shekinah, the divine spark, you can you just go through it. But essentially, the activation of that aspect of the self or the awakening of that aspect of the self and then the expression of it as you which is what they're speaking of as your consciousness, is in many ways the work of the text. I mean, you know, they say something kind of radical in these books, and at least in the new book, they say, you know, it's not about man becoming Christ. It's about the Christ becoming man. You know, you like to think and you want to substitute the word higher self. Christ is their word. And, you know, some people have baggage. You know, I didn't. I certainly did. I thought that people who went to church were, you know, I grew up in New York. We didn't do that. (laughs) We didn't do that. You know, but I just I didn't I didn't have a spiritual life because I didn't know I could have one. You know, that's me. So the language people can get overly attached to, I think. But. I remember what I was going to say, that that, that part of us, I think, that seeks awakening, seeks to be realized. So this is what I'm going to say. If you want to say higher self, you can. But if somebody wants to say, some you know nice new ager can say, I'm going to be my higher self today, mm-hmm. that's fine. But the aspect of you that's choosing that is still operating in personality. Yeah. Now, the higher self operating as you essentially abnegates the personality self to the lower 
status so that you can operate. You know, one of the first things that I ever heard in channel, and I'm assuming I heard this in channel because I wrote it down. I didn't just read it somewhere and remember it, yeah. but it was a very important line. And it, I was very, very unhappy. I was in my probably early 30s. And I was opening up, I was doing a lot of work, and I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I had to think for a long time what that meant, but I think what it really was, was, you know, I think I'm my personality, my ego, self, and that's what's sitting in the throne. Yeah. Now, when the true self or the divine self comes forward as us, there's a kind of freedom there, and I think that that's much of what the guides are teaching. Yeah. This can be so. It's our right. It's our birthright. Mm. It's not some crazy mystical thing. In fact, it's who we're all intended to be. And they say can be realized as. But we've got to be willing to do some of the work. And a lot of the work is how we perceive everybody around us. I mean, you know, the guides say, you know, look at everybody around you and see them in their worth. They have a right to be here. They were born no matter what you think of them. And if you see them all as an aspect of the divine, your whole consciousness is going to shift. Your energy field is going to shift. And if you can do this, if you can do this, you know, if we all did this, first of all, there'd be no war. You wouldn't kill people. Yeah. You don't, you just, it wouldn't have been occurred to you. It's insane. Right. I mean, they say we're so screwed up that we build bombs to keep us safe. They right. say that's crazy. It's just crazy to, to build a weapon of mass destruction in order to keep yourself safe. Mm. If you think of the logic of this, this is really what we've gone to. And they say something very, very important in all the books. And they say, you know, the action of fear is to create more fear. And every time you make a choice in fear, you're actually calling more fear to you. And they say, look at your own lives. Look at something you did because you were scared and see how much more fear you got as a result. And this is why we have all the problems we have in the world. Sure. And I, I think everyone listening will, will recognize that in their own life, um, how that perpetuates upon itself. Uh, what do we do when, when that's sort of snowballing down the hill and we see ourselves getting into more and more and more fear? Is there a way we can sort of shake our heads, stop ourselves, and work our well, way back? Saying, you know, they're saying choose, choose, choose. You don't choose. You don't choose. You think you're subjected. They think you're, you think you're subjected to what happens around you, to what happens around you. That is not so. That is not so. You have a right to choose. You have a right to choose. And what you choose is always based on and what you choose is always based in accord with what you think you can have. You want something higher. If you want something higher, claim it. Claim it. You have a right to it. You have a right to it. If you know you have a right to it. If you know you have a right to it, you may choose in a way. You may choose in a new way if you think you can only have what you had. If you think you can only have what you've had, that is all you will claim to yourself. That is all you will claim to yourself. And it will always be thus. And it will always be thus. You have the right to choose new. You have have the right to choose anew, you, you, you. And they're saying you, everybody, everybody has the right to choose new, has the right to choose new if you wish. And I just asked, they said, if you wish. I mean, they just said, you know, can I say this? They're teaching, I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, which they actually say is an energetic attunement that calls your field or your vibration, your consciousness into present time, will support you in making new choices. Because they say, you know, this is the only moment that you can choose in. This is the only moment. If you say, I know who I am, I know what I am, which is who I am as an aspect of the divine, what I am in this experience, in this situation, in these relationships, how I serve, they say, is how you're expressed as you in your highest way. And these things are always true for you. If you claim that, you can actually make a new choice based on that awareness because you're in present time. You're not operating in your history. Well, that's interesting. But the... the Probably the challenge in all this is um, when you say that, I know who I am, I know what I am, you have to see yourself in this highest light because so many of us see ourselves uh, with, with a little more darkness than that. And, yeah. And yes. So the challenge is to, and like you said, but you, to know that that divinity is within us. So it's... It, that's the leap that we have to make, I would imagine. Uh, I, that is that you're you're absolutely right, and that is the teaching of the book. You know, I mean, if you understand, or if I could truly understand, because I'm not saying that I'm there yet either. If I could truly understand that that's who I truly am, am you know, and that's the truth for you, a lot of the other stuff literally just moves aside. I'm not operating as it. But what they're saying is it's always true. They're saying it's a claim of truth whether or not you believe it. 
Oh. You know, when the guides do their workshops, you know, they, they sometimes will say to everybody, you know, you all have a right to be here. You know, you were born. Yeah. You know, you, you were born. I mean, what more do you need? You've got the ticket for this expression, for this experience, because you're here. But that doesn't make you special because everybody that was born has the same right. Yeah. You know, same, the same inherent birthright to, to value to their true divine worth. So even though it doesn't seem right, it's still so. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, it, I, what I'm realizing, when you say it, I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's not such a challenge. Maybe it's not such a challenge. Maybe it's a little easier than we're, I was thinking and, and that other people probably are thinking. Um, sometimes it's a, the, the consciousness of knowing where we could be or where we can be. Or I'll give you an example. This is probably a horrible example. It's more of a abundance example. I was... When I first got started in this work, I used to ghostwrite books just to make a living. And, huh? and I would fly out to uh, the, the clients, you know, to interview them and everything. And in the contract, uh, you know, if I was going to fly anywhere, they had, to, they had to pay for the flight. Yeah. And um, uh, what happened was uh, somewhere mid-range of that, that part of my career, I, was, um, I had some friends. And some friends were... Uh, taking my wife and I on a trip, and they had all these points, these airline points, and and they we f we flew first class for the first yeah. time, yeah. And I'm and I'm flying first class, and I'm for the first time realizing, oh, this is nice, you know, like oh, this is a lot better than back there. Like I can see why. And all of a sudden, I had this. It there was this new possibility in my exactly. conscious mind. And so the next client that I got, I just put in the contract that if I fly, I have to fly first class. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Like, but before I never would have asked for it. So I never could have got there. <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. You don't need to read the book. I mean, that's <laughs> no, the no. teaching. But, but they say that's, that's it. You got it. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, that, I mean, that's good. And, and, and so, so that's, again, one of the reasons I love this book because it, it shows us those other possibilities. It shows us what, what the possibilities are that maybe we weren't considering before. Well, they say something interesting. They say, you know, nothing can be made manifest until it's, until it's first a possibility. So one of the things that we have to do is expand what we believe can be possible yeah. in, yeah. Order, in order for it to be brought through. And it can be a first-class ticket or a job that gives you joy or perhaps no job at all because for some reason we still want to go back and think in the, within the parameters that we've been taught. You know, like, if I have money, that means I must be employed by somebody else. Well, frankly, says who? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, that's another assumption, and we, we build a life based on that. But if we, if we expand our possibility, well, the guides sort of say, this is one of the examples in the book. They say, you know, put yourself in the middle of a circle, and or on the outside of the circle, write all the things that you, you want, on the outside and they say well look at this you've all you've, you you because it's outside the circle you're actually affirming that you don't have them yet you know what i mean you're you're putting them outside of yourself <laughs> if you expand this if you expand the circle to be inclusive of this they said no the next step is to see all of these things as possibilities yeah because if you don't perceive it as a possibility you can't create it then expand the circle to include it it's a simple exercise but it sort of shows us where we say no to what actually can be made so. Brilliant exercise to see what we think is outside ourselves. But also, I mean, do you think it's true if we see something within somebody else, there's some sort of divinity within somebody else, uh, then then that could be our reality as well? Or is there certain case, are there certain times when that's, no, no, that's not the case? You know, you, Bob, you're never going to be a great artist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but seeing the divine worth in somebody, you know, people express in different ways. You know, somebody may think they're supposed to be a great artist or may have a great love of art, but that's really not how they're here to express fully. Yeah. You know, sometimes, I mean, again, we get into these limited ways of thinking, it should be my career that's expressed. Maybe it's the way you are with your friends, or maybe it's the way you, you serve your your community or anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. But we have these sort of narrow parameters of these things. But the, the question of do we see the divine worth in everybody, yes, regardless of what they present. And this is the challenge. Mm. You know, the guides say, you know, you can't be the light and hold anybody else in darkness. Yeah. 
you can't do it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the quickest way, and that's not a new teaching, yeah. you know, um, but it's how they say it. And so if you become aware of the divine in others, you're actually giving yourself permission to, to, to align to that as well. Yeah, okay. Um, the book talks about service, service to a fellow man. Uh, yeah. Why is that an important message? Well, I mean, they say how, well, I've, I've sort of talked about this a little bit, but they say, you know, I know how I serve. Yeah. And everybody comes to me and says, well, I don't know how I serve, you know, and does that mean that I'm supposed to go be a nurse yeah. or, you know, go help the poor? And frankly, not necessarily. You know, when you're operating in your higher and higher awareness of yourself and you're expressing that as you, the guides say it actually happens organically. That, be, that becomes your service. And you're actually calling to you the opportunities with which to be expressed at that level. Mm. So, yes, the man or the woman who's the artist and that's their expression is actually serving everybody through their creations. But the other thing is if you're aware of your own worth on a, on, on a fundamental level, mm. you're actually giving everybody else permission to align to that level just by the doing of it. Definitely. It's, it's the being of the example. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, uh, so I'm just going to read it. So I'm going to go back to that sentence. So I know who I am. I know what I am, and I know how I serve. Uh, that yeah. last part is beautiful because uh, you know there's lots of people I know who, um, you know, you know they're not out, you know, uh, affecting millions of people. They're yeah. affecting the people just within their small group. And yeah. but in when we do that. Um, and, and I see it. I, I, my wife's a great example. Like, man, the love that pours out of her. And, um, and, I, and I know that that just affects the whole world. You know, it yeah. just affects the whole world. Not, not even the ripple effect. I just think that sort of um, that, that thing that um, where they talk, you know, the oneness of it all, I guess. But, you know, they, they talk about if, if you split a cell in half, you know, and, and, you, and you, you know, it what happens here happens across the world at the exact same moment. I think that is true for anything. And I feel like my wife affects the world in that way, even though she may only be in contact with a few people. And I think that's true for so many of our audience members. And, and so I, I think that last part of that sentence is really super important. Thank you. Um, I, I want to ask uh, something that I didn't see in the book. Uh, we have a lot of people part of our audience here um on afterlife tv who have lost loved ones and yeah, yeah. and and they're grieving um and i was wondering if if you guys have ever said anything um about grief and loss in reference to knowing knowing and worth like what is the <clears throat> value of grief and loss because if we're going through that there must be some value to it uh-huh have you ever run into anything I don't think they've talked about it directly. I don't think that they've avoided it. I just don't think it's come up as part of their teachings. But, you know, they've got other books to write, and I, I assume that they'll get there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they have talked to people and, and spoken with people who are, you know, at the end of their lives. I mean, yeah. I've had clients um, that have come through, you know, come, come to me at that point. And it's really pretty fascinating um, to hear them talk and, you know, about our own attachment to our physical bodies. And that, you know, we, we still think that this is who we are and it's not who we are. I mean, we're spirit, you know. And, you know, they, they say that this aspect that they're addressing, and I know who I am, I know what I am, I know how I serve, is the eternal self. Mm. That's the part that, that goes on, you know, and we will meet again, you know, and we, 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 we continue to encounter as far as I understand it, what we need to continue our soul's growth. So they do talk about the attachment. You know, one of the things that I, I do, do some of, which is sort of surprising work, is I, I, I get calls to read for people who have family members in comas because oh, I'm okay. able to to hear sometimes. And it's really, really interesting because it's not like somebody who's crossed, which they're in a different place. There are people that are sort of hanging out in the middle. Yeah. And what's so interesting is, at times, the lack of investment. I read for uh, a lovely mother and daughter about a year ago who'd had a family member who'd been in a long-term coma. And the woman was really very unattached to coming back into the body. 
you know, she yeah. understood it. Yeah. She knew its purpose. She was aware on a certain level of what was going on. And then I read for somebody else much more recently. And it was so interesting because I couldn't, the guy was really angry. And I kept hearing he couldn't get back in his body and he was trying. Oh. And what I didn't know until the follow-up reading was that it was a medically induced coma. Ah. So, of course, he couldn't get back into the body. You know what I mean? He was being kept out of the body, and the guy was like, let me back in right. and try to find, trying to find re-entry. But in terms of grief, you know, I mean, I, I, I hate it because I want to I think they're going to say, like, well, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean, too? That's you know, other cultures, they celebrate the passing in a different way. I'm not necessarily there yet. I've got a, you know, I've, I've lost people very close to me. I've got a, you know, I've got people that I, I worry about losing still. Mm -hmm. I'm not all that advanced. Um, I'm going to, if you wish, I'm, I just asked if I could ask if there's anything on this and they're saying, if you wish, it's my way. They're saying it's about a respect of the one who has passed, a recognition and a recognition of the they played of the role that they played, but it is not necessary. But it is not necessary in tribute. In tribute, you think it's tribute. You think it's necessary in tribute to the relationship was to the relationship that was. That is a choice. That is a choice. It is not a tribute. It is not a tribute. It's a reflection. It is a reflection and a rendering and a rendering of a part of the aspect of a part of the aspect that was an attachment that was in attachment. That is challenging. That is challenging when you when you have been courted in the physical plane, in the physical plane, to release what you've known as you, to release what you've known as you in relationship to others, in relationship to others, how you choose to grieve, how you choose to grieve in some ways, in some ways is predicated by your training, is predicated by your training, what you believe you should do, and what you believe you should do, if you realize no right way. If you realize there's no right way, and you can move through it quickly or and you can move through it quickly or in long term. You give yourself some freedom. You give yourself some freedom, period. They're saying period. So I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, it makes brilliant sense. And, and, and I've seen more and more of this, or you know, maybe just because I'm an adult now and I didn't see as much of it when I was younger, but uh, there seemed to be a, a shift about um, the, the idea of mourning a death versus celebrating a life when you, yeah. when you went to some of these memorial services or, you know, funerals, that sort of a thing. And I, I've seen more more of it, and then, um, but then to even take it a step further, I, I, no no doubt. I mean, that loss affects us. It affects me here. I don't know why that is, but uh, uh, I just feel it there. And but um, even though you can't get rid of that right away, uh, I do think it's helped me with any grief that I've had to. Uh, well, even when you talk about serving, to to serve. Uh, in their in their honor and in, in the most positive way that I mm -hmm. can and, and to again a celebration of life their life yep. my life um, and so you know rather than allowing one's death to stop me and and, and put me on hold to push me forward and live uh, life because I do believe that that's what they want brilliant uh, thank you so much for these um, for the channelings that you've done, I, I I know you've been traveling. You're just you're just about to do your book tour. You're you you just were on a plane. You're in a hotel room right here, right? In a hotel room in San Francisco. Yeah. And and the energy. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, I'm grateful. I know my audience is really so grateful. I want to show oh. you books again. Um, again, I'm going to be reading all of them. But, uh, all right. So I am the word. The book of love and creation. Number two, and the newest book, the book of knowing and worth. From if if you if you you know if, if it becomes a matter of finance and and right now you have to just choose between one of them, I would go with the last one, the book of knowing and worth. Myself, would you agree? I would agree. Yeah, um, and uh, good luck. I, I I hope everybody reads this i really do uh it's it, talk about a celebration of life uh you you i do i do believe that the the wisdom that's in this and that's what i think you know uh psychics uh they communicate with universal energy including our own energy mediums communicate with spirits i believe that uh channels uh communicate uh with um some will call it ascended masters, but uh, entities or group entities to bring through wisdom. And, and that seems to be the difference for me is that channels bring through wisdom. It's not so much about us 
personally, it's about us as a whole. And, and because it's a whole, it becomes personal to us in that way. I believe that that's what all three of these books do. That the last one I read more of than, than any of them, and it was inspiring to me. So uh, thanks, thanks for taking the time to write it. <laughs> and, you know, because it's a gift yeah. to me. I, I, already, it's a gift to me, and I'm going to go back, and I know it will be more a gift to me. I know it will be a gift to other people. Uh, I do want to... Um, the the you give psychic readings. Uh, oh boy, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, something yeah. I got to do. Uh, you know, um, people can contact you through your website, which is paulselig.com. That's right. All right, uh, and all, all this stuff will be in the show notes underneath this video. You have many events coming up uh, in the fall, uh, the winter, and spring of 2014, right? Many events. So we'll make sure there's a link to those as well. I think everybody now these events include what uh, group channels you can uh, you can do. Yeah, I mean they're 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 weekend workshops that are run completely by my guides, where my guides attune people to the energy that they work with and get them working with each other. So for people that have not had an experience of energy, it's often a pretty big experience. And there's evenings, um, which are sort of introductory workshops. But usually my guides will talk, and then they'll get to work with everybody. So everybody gets to work with the energy that they work with. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, anything else you wanted to mention? No, I'm just so happy to be here. You know, oh, that's nice. That's nice. I Boy, I, I hope we get to meet in person. This was lovely. Yeah. But uh, I'd love to be in your presence just uh, over some coffee or a pint or something sometime. And... Um, uh, just hang out and and learn a little bit more about uh, the other things that you do uh, with your teaching and your play plays. Uh, uh, that's fascinating as well. So uh, thanks again, and maybe you know maybe we can have you on again. I hope in the future that would be great. I'd love to come back. Thank All you, right. Bob. Thank I you, Paul. Bye bye. Bye bye now. <laughs>